Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life, and to make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the word civility. Vocabulary.com defines civility as the act of showing regard for others by being polite, courteous, considerate, and respectful. In my opinion, what the world needs now, besides love, sweet love, is definitely more civility. And here to discuss is certified etiquette trainer, Christy Spencer, who spent over two decades in television news, not known for its civility, before training at the Emily Post Institute. Christy is a passionate advocate for workplace civility and believes etiquette isn't about memorizing a set of rules, it's about building relationships. It is wonderful to have you here, Christy, thank you. It's wonderful to be here, thank you. So I didn't mean to like slam on on the news industry because I actually love news and I'm a big news nerd and junkie. But you know, one of the things, I mean, let's face it, Lou Grant, one of the most beloved characters in TV, not known for his civility and working in a newsroom. And also it's a fast paced, tense environment. A lot of times those environments do not bring out the best in people. Or do you know what I mean? It's like we we get anxious and, and things spill over. So I want to go back to like on your website, it says right there, good manners are good business. I happen to agree, but could you explain that? Well, a lot of it has to do with how our employees are going to treat one another. And mm. so if we have employees who are not acting civilly to one another, we're going to have people quit. And then we're going to make it harder to hire people because we've got a reputation problem and you've got a retention problem. Then you've got a reputation problem. And so... It, it really does pay for businesses to invest in civility training, just so we can be more aware of one another, make it a better workplace, but also it really does impact the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And also civility intersects with DEI now, of course. Oh, absolutely. I mean, anytime we're going to have two people together, you have etiquette no matter what. And you think, you know, I'm, I'm in business. This is all business. It's not about feelings. You don't necessarily have to be nice to people. You're here to get the job done. That's not the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, it, it is all about relationships. And if you think that you don't need relationships to succeed at work, the, you know, congratulations, but you know, you're going to have a boss, you're going to have coworkers, you're going to have clients and everything is built on relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, in my opinion, as in most things at work, and I appreciate what you're saying about how employees talk to each other, but it starts at the top, right? With leadership, right? And how it we- starts at the, It starts at the top for leadership, but it can also start at the top for incivility. So exactly when we are dealing with an environment that is not civil, usually the instigator is somebody who is in power and who is not likely to get fired. This is somebody who feels comfortable enough in their position that they think, you know, I am who I am. I'm too old to change. I'm not going to change. I've gotten this far. And so typically that's who we're dealing with when we're dealing with somebody who's not treating other employees civilly. Um, You know, I wish to say that this was generational, but it's not. But because I was in, in preparation, I remembered a very specific moment. I started the music business. Legendary for not being a civil environment. Super creative. And there were a lot of fun stories. But my, one of my first bosses used to walk around the office with a baseball pat. He was hugely intimidating. And one of his favorite quotes was, show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. So I mean, he was boldly declaring, you know, right. 
he's he stands on the side of unsportsmanlike behavior. Right. How and we, we define that? You know, sometimes we say nice guys finish last. And I don't think that that's true. I, Me I neither. When, when you look at people who are truly successful, uh, may, that might not have to do with money, first of all. That might have to do with a lot of other factors. But when you look at people who are truly successful and who have been successful in the news industry, a lot of them are actually really good, nice people. And I would say for me, I wanted to be able to lay my head down at night and, and feel good about what I did and how I treated people. And that was um, really what I tried to do. Now, did we succeed at that? No. I mean, what makes us uncivil is when there's stress and mm -hmm. there's no, I, I, there's so many stressful environments. But a newsroom is definitely one of those stressful environments. We're talking about deadlines. We're talking about dealing with things that are, are really heavy. And so it's that stress that makes us uncivil to other people all the time. It's when we are looking inward of ourselves, you know, when we are not looking out for other people and we lose that awareness. And when we lose that awareness, we're rude. So I have to think this is a little bit on a scale, right? It's not a, it's not black and white, either or. There's certainly, it can be um, subjective. So I think the newsroom is a really good example of all this. Where does like, chop, chop, we need to get the job done is one example, as well as like, that was not your best work. Um, and we need to edit this like now. So where do we cross over from the, you know, urgency of these things in the newsroom as a great example? Where do we go from like, this is the job and don't take it personally into where does it cross over into rudeness? Yeah, I think it's impossible not to take things personally. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you try to have that thick skin, but no matter when we are human and people are critiquing us, then that's going to sting to a, a certain amount. And so I think as managers, you know, we had to be conscious of that. And it, it is very difficult, but it's not always if you're going to do something, it's really how you're gonna do something. And if you apply a process to how you make decisions and you view your decisions through a lens of how am I going to keep this relationship intact? Or how am I even going to deliver this bad news? And maybe even, make the relationship better, but at least don't don't demolish the relationship in the meantime. I think that's that's the balancing act that we have to do. And so I think it's it's thinking, it's having empathy with other people. And that's not easy to do on a deadline. I'll be the, the first to admit that. But it really is committing to that process of thinking about how our actions impact other people. I think translating what you're saying for anyone listening who's you know, hasn't been through trainings. What you're actually saying is, and this is a hallmark of leadership, is actually being able to stop and see the long view. And it's like, how do I get the best out of this employee? And, um, and especially when in our deadline, somebody crying in the bathroom is going to delay your results. I mean, just even in the immediate, right? So it's like, um, and then there's also going back to, you know, what my grandmother would have said, you know, catch more flies with honey you know, any number of things. So it's, it's taking that long view and that's, a, and that's actually an example where it's just bottom line, good for business and is going to motivate people or feel connected to their purpose, seen and heard. Can, can you actually think of any examples? Because you were a news director. That's a big, first of all, can you just even explain what a news director does? Because I don't think people know. 
Well, when you talked about Lou Grant, you know, that's funny you would use that example because that's how I would explain myself to other people. I'm like, I, I'm the Lou Grant and Mary Tyler Moore show. And uh, then, you know, that generation, is, a lot of people don't understand that reference now. Oh, it so, lives and, on in TV <laughs> land and YouTube yeah. and one of the greatest television shows of all time. It, yeah, it, it's awesome. Um, so a news director is the person who's in charge of setting the direction for the newsroom. And that goes from hiring everyone from producers, reporters, anchors, sports people, weather people, uh, to setting the tone for the day, deciding which stories we're going to cover and how we're going to cover them. And um, also deals with contracts for talent and setting the budget and dealing with production and graphics. And so it was a really big job. There were a lot of, a lot of people, you know, who have a hand in it. We think we created about 30 hours of live television every week. And we're talking, this is a teeny tiny newsroom. I mean, this is, when, when you think of starter market, first job in television, this is the poster child. Um, this is a lot of first job for people. So it was a lot of teaching for me. And that's, you know, what I, I loved about it. And it was a lot of, you know, presenting an image either of the anchors or of the talent but also of our station and being a part of the community. So it was a, a lot of things. You would, you know, decorate the Christmas tree sometimes and you would, you know, drive the float in the Christmas parade and you, you know, wear, wear a lot of hats, especially in a small newsroom. I just want to validate 30 hours of programming is a staggering amount of programming for anybody. Yes, so doing that with a staff of about 30 people would be was was a, a lot of, of uh, television so so also so now so it's on both sides because it, and it's wonderful as you talk about this because I'm thinking in my own career of, of being blessed with some really wonderful bosses where I really start to see the difference and actually see leadership in action and how again you know in my um you know, years at MTV networks, we did overnights, not uncommon when you were, you know, crashing on a deadline and you're, and then also <laughs> on budget, you know, they would book overnight edits to save money and, but you were happy to do it. There's some of my happiest memories and the camaraderie and how we were all in it together. And that started with having really great bosses who set a tremendous tone and you felt your work was valued and respected. And, and there was a reason you were doing all this. So with that said, you know, so when you're on the receiving end, I guess I'm just like sort of any tips for anybody listening who's in a work situation where it's like, okay, I've got to earn a paycheck. I, I'm not living in an ideal world where I can just get up and walk out and, and go get another job. It's like, there are reasons I'm here. It may be because this is a really important you know, step in my career. It's a rung on my ladder. Um, I can't walk away from this money, whatever it is. What are some of the strategies or actual tools to implement when you're dealing with, in an, in, in, I don't even know what's the, what's the create language around it's an uncivil atmosphere. Yes. So in, you're just yeah, around in, rude people. Rude people. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, one thing I, I try to tell people is the first thing is it is so much easier for us to see rudeness in other people than it is for us to see it in ourselves. And so we see, <laughs> we see rude people and rude behavior everywhere. But sometimes we have to look at ourselves. And, you know, it's that one finger pointing and three pointing back at you rule. So when people say, you know, they're, they're in an environment or, or this, you know, woe is me. No one will listen to me. My boss is horrible. I think, you know what? Make sure that your record is 
clean. Don't make sure that you're not looking at that rudeness in other people and not looking at it for yourself as well. So a lot of times rudeness is a two-way street. And a lot of times what you give is what you get. And so I, I like to say that first of all. And I think this the second thing is, you know, assume people have good intentions. We don't wake up, most of us, unless, you know, there's some trolls and psychos out there, but most of us wake up and we think, you know what, we want to have a good day. We want to make other people have a good day. You know, we have the best intentions, but then something can happen between that good intention and then actually practicing and, you know, following through and not being rude. So I think assume those best intentions, be willing to see your own rudeness before you point it out and other people. And then I think it's just kind of having that that open mind and trying to take a, a grain of salt and realizing what's their backstory? You know, what has gone on in their life today that might be making them react that way? And so empathy plays a big part in this. Um, but I also think that, you know, being polite doesn't mean that you're a pushover. It doesn't mean that you can never disagree. It doesn't mean that you have to be a doormat. It means that you learn what I call empowering etiquette, which is how and when to ask for what you want. And that in, in a situation is really powerful. Okay, one, love you bring up the internal audit. Really great. Assuming best intentions um, is a, a wonderful way to live life that I embrace. And then also it goes back to like, you know, trying not to take something personally is to actually stop and go, I, I think I'm hearing you say, it's like one is what I heard, what they actually said. So sometimes it's helpful to, you know, write out what the words were because our interpretation can be misguided. And then also we don't always know what happened just before, which is a really, really good, like, what did I just walk in on or, and, um, you know, having to learn about that, like, did, did someone's babysitter call in sick? And they're like, super stressed getting to the office. Did someone, you know, break up with their partner last night? Did someone just get really bad news? W whatever. Did your show just get canceled? And then I just walked in on it. I mean, there are just a million reasons why. Yes. So that's really great. But I am now obsessed with a term I'd never thought about before, empowering etiquette. So let's, I, let's go deeper, whatever that means. Walk us through. Well, when I talk about empowering etiquette, I talk about how we can use etiquette and respect and consideration uh, to our advantage. And so that means that, you know, first of all, we are going to be a person who gives compliments to other people. And we sound like, you know, this is a part of etiquette where you talk nicely about other people and you give those compliments. But when you give those compliments and you do it in public, you're actually reflecting better on yourself than you would if you weren't giving other people compliments. So give somebody else the accolades, give those compliments and do it in public. You also want to just like gain friends. You know, when you gain allies, you have people that are pulling for you, they're invested in you, they're interested in you. So I tell people, you know, just be a good friend. And that is an empowering thing because, you know, there's power in numbers and, and we need those allies. Um, I tell people to ask for advice and then for God's sakes, listen to the advice. Again, that gets other people invested in you and that helps you become more powerful. So it's it's all of these all of these steps that we can take that sound really simple. These are these are the things that we you know know what to do and sometimes we do them and then we know what to do and sometimes we don't do them. But it's it's really using those powers and being able again to disagree with somebody, but you do it in a polite way. And I think especially in media, we, you know there's examples 
daily of this not happening. That's what makes the news are those kinds of moments. So, you know, as an industry, I wish that, you know, it wasn't highlighted so much, but I think that we really need to shine a light on how you can disagree politely and how you don't attack somebody else. You don't, you don't talk about them. You talk about where you're coming from and you use those I statements. But again, I don't want people to think that, you know, being polite and saying yes all the time, it means knowing how and when to ask for something politely. It means being able to say you're not comfortable with something or that you can decline an invitation or, you know, all of these things are, are things that we're going to have to do unless we're, we're going to, you know, completely be overwhelmed with people's asking us for things. So you, so you learn how to say no, but you do it in a way that doesn't damage the relationship. Can you give an example or like, you know, script? Well, I mean, I was not only a news director, I was a mom. And so, you know, you get, you know, so many requests for, um, you know, can you make it, you know, another dozen cupcakes, or <laughs> five dozen cupcakes for the, for the bake sale. And, you know, oh, first of all, I like to, you know, take time and appreciate somebody and say, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm so glad you like my cupcakes. And then you say, you know what? I am not able to do that. I just don't have the bandwidth or I have another commitment or I, my favorite is I wouldn't be the best person to do that. That's hard for people to argue with. And so then you deliver that news. And then when they try to sway you or, or change your opinion, you just become silent and you just start listening to them. And usually people will forget that you declined that request, but they will remember that you listened to them and they will end up thanking you in the end for, you know, thank you so much for listening to me. And I think that that is just such an important, you know, daily application of, you know, being able to decline some things. But we're not saying, I can't believe you asked me again to do that. I don't have time. What are you thinking? You know, you're really doing it in a, a delicate way where hopefully the person still feels great about you when you say no. Uh, so the certain patience is required which is, you know, consciousness and intention is our themes that come up on the podcast um, all the time. Adjacent to this, I want to ask you, but it comes, it can come up for anyone, but it's certainly uh, often for women in the workplace is fear of causing offense and then being over apologetic about everything. Yes. So fear of causing offense, I think, you know, I mean, it, it is, we're going to disagree sometimes. And so, you know, learn how to disagree play that conversation in your mind, not in the way where you're like, I wish I would have said that, or, or you know, what, back with, before the conversation happens, you know, play that in your head. But also um, when it comes to apology, we have to stop apologizing for things that we shouldn't be apologizing for. And one reason is it does diminish our power and, you know, just our, our self-esteem and, and how we feel about ourselves, but also it diminishes the apology when we're apologizing for things that aren't in our control or we're apologizing in times where it's not necessary. So if you wanna you know, speak up in a meeting, it is not necessary to apologize ahead of time you know, before you make that comment. So knowing you, know, you apologize when you hurt or offend somebody by your actions or words. And usually that needs to be intentionally, you, know, you, you call, cause physical pain or inconvenience to somebody. And so it's important to think of, I'm sorry, is such a powerful world, word that we don't just throw it out, you know, 15 times a day. We save it for when we really mean it. 
You know, before we got on the call, we were having an Emily Post Institute Love Fest because um, I am a not so closeted etiquette nerd. You are certified. So I bravo you. Bravo you. So I have my 1956 edition that was my mom's. It's the actually the ninth edition of her, the her etiquette book and you were saying to me that there's just been an updated edition for the 100th anniversary total overhaul not that civilities changed but the world has changed and gender roles have changed and identity and and um people in the workplace so for i just wanted for, you know for people listening to actually some tangible tips in the current world that's you know where we are about um you know civility on a zoom call civility on in a zoom interview Things that are brand new territory. Yeah, I think civility on Zoom, you know, there's lots of, you know, questions that we have, you know, when somebody's late, how long do you wait? Is it cameras on or cameras off or, you know, exactly, you know, what is the etiquette? And it's very subjective. And I think that it's really up to people to set the tone for things. And that's, that's so, um, so what's rooted in etiquette is, I mean, you know, from when you get a wedding invitation, or you get another invitation, kind of that sets the tone for the event. Well, when you send an e-Zoom invite to somebody, you know, that's your chance to set the tone there. You know, put some parameters about it, around it, put when there's going to be time for input, put some agenda to it, put some timing to it. But I think, you know, you really have to set the ground rules. And again, it's not if you have cameras on or if you don't have cameras on, what the right or wrong thing is, what the rule is, it's how you go about it and how you get everybody on the same page. So it's um, some really practical tools, but you know, we say it's not about manners, but it's um, about relationships. And then, you know, we publish, you know, huge thick books with a whole list of manners in there. So there are definitely, you know, some best practices that people, you know, can follow and kind of can lean on. Emily Post book are great resources. I, I don't know if they're a cuddle up on a cold day and, you know, read the whole thing, but it is nice. But to I'm going to jump in right there and say, yes. And um, the other thing that, wait, because this is really important and, and just to celebrate the nerd dumb, because I don't think most people have not read these is to understand, you know, she was way ahead of her time in storytelling because she created these characters. And so, and you know, so she was using humor and making fun of the snobby one. And, and I just really want to underscore that Emily Post was the first one to really go out there and talk about that, that etiquette was about courtesy and making the people in your home feel comfortable and welcome. Right. It wasn't so if somebody, right. Isn't the whole thing. If somebody, you know, drops a fork, then you drop yours or slurping the soup It just never make anybody feel bad or embarrassed. It's, it's always about making people feel at ease. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And that hasn't changed. And I think that gets lost right in the whole etiquette story. It, it does get lost because some people are, are thinking that, you know, this is antiquated or, or these are old rules or these are stuffy things, or these are things we don't do. No, I mean, we still care about how we treat other people. And that's really at the core of etiquette is, and that hasn't changed. Um, what made Emily Post different is that she was really the first person who made etiquette accessible. And so mm -hmm. she would say, uh, she would make, poke fun at people who were in high society. And, um, but it really was, it, it didn't matter your name. It didn't matter your education. It didn't matter where you came from. You were to treat everybody with respect. And that's what really drew me to that philosophy and why I was, you know, drawn. There's there's a lot of, of different philosophies when it comes to etiquette. I know who knew that there were, you know, more than more than one way to go about it. But that was important to me. 
is that it was, you know, very accessible to everyone. And it was really about just that consideration, honesty, and respect that we need to have for everybody, regardless of if we agree with them or, you know, we're competing against them. There's just those things that are always at the core. You know, to that note, um, you know, I believe you're coming from a place of yes. And in our conversation has been so, you know, lovely and open, but are are there any absolute no's? Oh, there. well, there's a lot of, well, first of all, the, the worst thing you can do is correct somebody else's bad manners. Mm. So, so that's, that's probably what I, what I tell people when I, when I teach people etiquette, I said, okay, I am going to teach you. Now you have to use your powers for good and not evil. And so knowing that the, you know, you can't, you don't correct somebody else when they do something. So like you said, you know, somebody starts drinking out of the finger bowl, you start drinking out of your finger bowl. Like if we have finger bowls, you know, no one has that. Bring back the finger bowl. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But um, I think, you know, definitely when we're eating wings, that could be a a helpful thing. But, um, you know, it's really, I want to celebrate this. A finger bowl (laughs) with a little lemon, way more environmentally friendly than throwing away. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but yeah, it is. uh, I think that's, that's the big one is you don't correct other people's bad manners. And sometimes that's the ultimate test of good manners is to put up with somebody else's bad manners and not correct them. Um, if you're not their parent or you're not their boss, you're not in a position, most people don't want to be corrected. And that is uh, something I need to put on my wall because <laughs> I am such a fountain uh, and not a filter at times. So uh, um, I'm sure my kids and uh, sometimes people who, who are around me are, are like, shut it off etiquette lady you know I mean uh, you know no one no one's asking you for your advice right okay I know I feel like I forgive me I'm just holding you hostage here in a free training okay because I'm firing away with questions one I loved on your Instagram when you talked about if somebody starts telling you a story they've told you before you have two seconds and then otherwise if you missed your two second window I'm presuming it's zip and just be polite and nod and kind be patient hold space and grace for this person in in the you might hear it. Wait, you know what? You might hear something different this time or glean new knowledge, or there's a reason you needed to hear that story again. Be kind. Yeah, or, or just like a little <laughs> pat on your own back for restraining yourself and having that, you know, that um, place to um, be quiet and just let somebody, you know, do their thing. And I always like, you know, tell people like these invisible little, you know, pats on the back that we can give ourselves when we choose not to react and we would choose not to talk in some instances when we really would, you know, rather let ourselves and let our opinion be known. Okay. I, I just popped into my head. Because thank God for, you know, masks, because this has saved me so much in terms of um, my face giving, you know, me away. But how do we handle etiquette on airplanes? In a world where I, I, you know, I'm a party of one on most of this. So I think the biggest problem that we have on airplanes is smelly foods. So the the smells are bad. Leg room is cramped. And I think sometimes you're just, you're just on edge. I think people seem like they're more on edge and you're thinking at any point in time, somebody's going to, you know, whip out a cell phone and start, you know, videoing some interaction. It just feels like at any moment things could spill over and, you know, and be on CNN later in that day for something that happens. So I think going and, you know, not having the smelly food, not trying to do something that's going to, you know annoy people. If you're going to put your seat back, 
um, I think it's nice to to let the person know behind you, like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my seat back. So if they have their tray table down or so, you know, their uh, laptop on their computer, I think that it's okay to get a little more leg room. I think it's just nice and polite to kind of just lay it out and just kind of you know let the person know behind you, and I think just keeping calm about things and again assuming the best intentions and not thinking that people are trying to be rude all the time we're all we're all on the same plane we're all in the same boat we're we're all doing the same thing we want to get to the destination and I, I think it's it's just so important just to give people a little bit of grace and again you know assume the best in people no, you're absolutely right. It's just, I sometimes on a plane, I'm totally giving myself away here. I think that people forget that we're not on the plane together, that we're not in your, you know, your living room or your den, or this isn't your private plane. We are all here together. And one of the best stories a friend told me recently was on a flight and the her seatmate turned to her as another woman business traveler and said, do you want the front or the back of the armrests that we're sharing? And I thought that was such a wonderful thing to acknowledge, like we're cramped here and let's let's make this work together. Yeah, and that stands out and it really shouldn't. It's so easy, but I think sometimes we just get so focused on ourselves and where we're trying to get and our deadlines and, and what's happening to us when really it does so much for ourselves and another person just to do something to make their day a little bit better and to be kind to them. I used to play the game where, you know, you're in a newsroom, you get complaints all day long. You know, people are, people do not call a newsroom because they're happy. And I, you know, I would, I would be like, I want to be the person that has the best conversation with this person that they've had all day. And so I, that was just what I, what I strove to do. And again, a lot of that was listening to people and, you know, hearing them out and, you know, kind of nodding and agreeing and, and just kind of letting them vent. But it really is something so small that we can do for others, but that maybe helped their day. I don't know. Never saw him, never heard from him again, but it sure as heck helped my day. Well, that's a beautiful ripple effect. Chrissy, this has been a wonderful conversation. I hope this is only our first and not our last. And I you do will... too. Yeah. Oh, there's more to talk about. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been a really wonderful conversation. And I, I love the ripple effect that through kindness and listening, you're just you're making the world a better place. So thank you. And thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you want to get from where you are to where you are meant to be, please shoot me a note via my website, ableintermedia.com. And be sure to download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And please subscribe if you haven't already.